Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Thank you, worship band. they are. Church, how are you doing? I want to encourage you to go get pancakes. Thank you. If they were bad, I don't know, there were some high schools doing high schoolers doing it, you know. Just kidding. Um, everybody doing okay? Good to be with you all. Pastor Dave and, and Cindy are not here. We are thinking and praying for them. They're, they're with some other pastors and having a great trip, and so praying they have an awesome time. And I'm kicking off, um, or continuing, excuse me, our series, Better Together. And I'll be doing part four this morning. And Dave, Pastor Dave has been kicking off these sermons with a powerful quote from Mother Teresa. And I'd like to begin like that as well. Here's the quote. None of us can do great things, but all of us can do small things with great love. And together we can do something wonderful. Beautiful quote. It's kind of been the, the theme behind the building project, which is amazing. Now, I know Christmas was a little over a month ago, but I'd love to kind of begin our, our sermon with a story about, that happened around Christmas, if that's okay. In 1914, Christmas Eve, Bruce Barron's father, a British machine gunner, sat crouched in his war trench, freezing, fearful, and muddy and tired. World War I was raging, and Bruce found himself in Belgium trying to push back the Germans. At about 10 p.m., Bruce began to hear some noise coming from across the field. He turned to his other soldier friend and said, do, do I hear the Germans kicking up some racket over there? Yes, they've been at it for quite some time, his friend replied. The Germans were singing carols. And in the darkness, some of the British soldiers began to sing back. Suddenly, Bruce recalled in his memoir, we heard a confused shouting from the other side. We all stopped to listen. The shout came again. The voice was from an enemy soldier speaking in English with a strong German accent. He was saying, come over here. And one of the British sergeants answered, you come halfway and I'll come halfway. What happened next stunned the world and would make history. Enemy soldiers began to climb nervously out of their trenches to meet in the barbed wire filled no man's land that separated the armies. Normally, the British and Germans communicated across no man's land with streaking bullets, with the occasionally gentlemanly allowances to collect the dead. But now, there were handshakes and words of kindness. There were games played, and the soldiers traded songs and tobacco and wine, joining in a spontaneous holiday party in the cold night on that Christmas Eve, 1914. Bruce could not believe his eyes. In his memoir, he writes, here they were, the actual practical soldiers of the German army, the enemy, and there was not an atom of hate on either side. And this crazy, unexpected peace wasn't confined to one battlefield. Starting on Christmas Eve, small pockets of French and German, Belgian and British soldiers, troops, excuse me, held impromptu ceasefires across the Western Front, with reports of some of the Eastern Front as well. Some accounts suggest a few of these unofficial truces remained in effect for days. Pretty crazy story. Maybe you've heard that story. There's a couple great movies about this Christmas Eve, 1914. 
But can you just imagine for a moment, friends, you are in the trench and the war has been raging and you're tired and scared and, and you've seen your friends die at the hands of this enemy. And then all of a sudden, after some carols, different things, you slowly get out of your trench and begin to meet the enemy in this no man's land, in the field. And you start hanging out. You start having fun, celebrating Christmas, celebrating the birth of Christ and his peace. The walls and the barriers that separated these two groups of warring people had been torn down and shattered just for a moment. A moment in which heaven came down to earth on that freezing battlefield many years ago, just for a moment, to celebrate the birth of Jesus and peace on earth. I begin with that story because it's a radical representation of how Jesus can bring people together. He can tear down the walls and barriers. And church, we are better together. And this morning's message is titled, The Power of Unity. So we've been in the book of Ephesians. Um, we've done the first chapter and then a little bit of the second chapter. And let me do a little bit of context before we jump into our text. Uh, if you have your Bible, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 is where we'll be. But let me, give us, let me speed us up a little bit here. Ephesians is a little bit of a unique letter because the Apostle Paul is writing to a large area. It's not just one church that's in need or has a specific problem. This letter is actually to a large area. And he begins the chapter with blessings. You might remember a couple weeks ago, Pastor Dave talked about the music and the songs because Paul starts with some songs. And, 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 and how can we get that music in our bones and dance to that music that Christ desires for us? So Paul says, blessed are you because God chose you. Blessed are you because you have been ransomed through Christ's blood. Blessings, blessings. And then after the blessings, he launches into prayers. I'm praying for wisdom and power and that your eyes would be open to see God's work in you. And then we got to chapter 2 last week. Pastor Dave preached an awesome sermon that I want to encourage you to go back and watch. You were dead in your transgressions and sins hopeless and alone, dying to your flesh, but because of God and his rich mercy and grace, we have been made alive in Christ. Amen, church. Such good news, we've been made alive in Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. Don't boast in it, because it's not your own doing. It is a gift from God. Now, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. And um, actually, one more quick thing, sorry. More context. N.T. Wright, an amazing New Testament scholar, he talks about how we as Christians typically think of Paul as the apostle of salvation. Um, because Paul talks a lot about salvation and our vertical relationship with God. But, but Wright makes the point that, that the apostle Paul actually talks about unity five times more than he talks about salvation. Paul spills five times more the ink writing about unity in the church than salvation. And the salvation, of course, is, is pivotal and so crucial to who we are as Jesus followers. Absolutely. But what this tells us is, is Paul cares deeply about unity. For Paul, we have missed a massive part of the story of God if we end with this vertical story, if this vertical aspect of the story without moving into the horizontal part of the story. You can't just stop here with me, myself, and Jesus. This journey involves others. It involves you and you and, and all of us, right? It involves your friends, your family, and, and who you shop at grocery stores with, all of us. 
And Paul begins to really get into that horizontal part of this relationship in our text this morning. And here it is, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Therefore, therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who were called themselves the circumcision. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier and the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. A lot there. Such amazing, powerful writing from the Apostle Paul. Let's jump right in. Number one, Christ desires unity, not uniformity. Christian embodied unity that Jesus and Paul talk about is not the elimination of diversity. It's the celebration of it. One more time. Christian embodied unity that Paul and Jesus talk about is not the elimination of diversity, it's the celebration of it. In Genesis 11, we're given a really interesting story, the story of the Tower of Babel. Maybe you remember that story. And this story opens up with unity. The people are all together, but also there's uniformity. And really, it's oppressive. And you might remember they're building this tower to the sky and there's so much arrogance and, and, and God judges them and scatters them. But also, I think God is, is graciously helping the people with this idea that, hey, it's okay to be different. It's okay to have diversity. We want more than one kind of food in our world, amen? More than one kind of music in our world. Culture and diversity is a good thing. So you have this story in Genesis 11 about unity, but also uniformity. Then in, in, in Acts 2, Pentecost, you have another story. And many scholars say that Gen, or excuse me, Acts 2, the Pentecost story, is the reversal of the Tower of Babel. Because this story as well opens with unity, but not uniformity. There's all kinds of different people there from all parts of the globe. And they're there, and Peter's giving this gospel message, and the, and the Spirit of God falls. And it's actually not a, a miracle of speaking in tongues. It's actually a, a miracle of, of hearing in Acts 2. Because the, the, the Parthians and the Medes and the Eliamites, they can all hear the gospel message that Peter is giving in their own language. It's amazing. And so their, their differences, their cultures, their, their, their diversity is lifted up and celebrated under the banner of Christ and the Holy Spirit. And then they are sent to wherever they came from to preach that good message. 
So the Pentecost story is this reversal of the Tower of Babel. And another helpful metaphor that Paul uses to drill this into uh, all of us is the body. He uses the metaphor of the body throughout his letters. We are one body, and the Lord is the head, and we all are a different part of the body. We all have a different role to play. Paul says, imagine if we were all eyes. That would be weird, weird right, church? <laughs> or imagine if we were all feet. Even weirder, even weirder. It wouldn't work, but we come together with our unique gifts and our unique differences under the banner of Christ to be a family together. So Paul right away is, is pushing on the readers in verses 11 through 13. You used to be separated from Christ. You were apart from him, so don't act like a big shot walking around telling everybody you're, you're part of the circumcision now. Right? That would not happen in our world today, too, by the way. Um, Paul says, remember who you were in Egypt with no home, no citizenship. And now look at where you are because of Christ and his blood. It's not all about circumcision and meat sacrifice to idols and, and getting every single person to believe the same thing about all these laws and customs. It's not about that. Paul says in verse 15, God's setting aside the law and regulations by Christ's blood. It's all by his blood that we can now be with Jesus. And that's how it is for us too, church, all by Christ's blood. He brings us together. And this is important because maybe, maybe you're like me and, and every now and again you feel like you don't belong, feel like a misfit. Maybe some of you were there this morning. All of us have had that feeling at one time or another, not a part of the family. But because of the cross, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Amen. His blood has brought us together in a unique and beautiful way. And by his blood, we've been washed clean as well. Brought together, but also washed clean. Sin does not get the last word in our lives, but God's grace does. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know that? What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's all about Christ's blood. He washes us clean and brings us close. So church, I don't know where you are. Uh, maybe you, you feel like a little bit like you don't belong. Maybe you feel like you're separated from Christ now in a, in a small way or maybe a big way. But what I hope we hear from Paul's writing is that because of Christ's blood, we have been brought near. We are a family. You do belong. You do. And Christ desires unity, us coming together, not uniformity, but unity. Number two, Christ destroys barriers and gives us peace. Verses 14 and 18. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. In the first century, there were so many barriers and walls up in society, so many. And the big one that Paul tackles is Jews and Gentiles, right? 
Jews were insiders, Gentiles were outsiders, and Gentiles were seen as unclean and as animals by the Jews. If a Jewish person was to even touch a Gentile, they would have to do cleansing rituals to get back to worship. These groups hated each other. And Paul says later, right after our, our verses for today, he says, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promises in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying it's a mystery. You used to hate each other, but, but Christ brings us together. And it doesn't make sense because we have tribalism and insider-outsider complexes and biases. Why? Because of the human condition, because of our fallen world. And it can be so ingrained in us, but Jesus shatters that. And this is why I love the, the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew. Some of you guys are like, genealogy in Jesus, of Jesus in Matthew. Is that the part with all the names that we skip to go to the Christmas story? Yes, that's the part. Yes. Genealogies were actually a huge deal back in the day. Because your life was so wrapped, in, wrapped up in, in where you had come from. And so when Matthew is writing these lists of names, people would have been on the edge of the seat to find out where the Messiah had come from, who had came before him. And this, this list of names is so unbelievably beautiful and shattering because the line of Christ includes Gentiles, women, and sinners. Gentiles are in the line. Those, those unclean people, those animals, they're included. They're included. Women. Now, some of you are like, women, like, of course, women were included. They literally give birth to everyone, right? right? But women were never in genealogies in the first century, ever. But they're there in the line of Christ because Jesus elevates women. They're not second-rate citizens. And sinners, sinners are in the line of Christ. Yeah, but like little sins, right? Like misdemeanors? No, no. Murders, prostitutes, evil kings, people who did awful things and really struggled. They are included in the line of Christ. Why? Because Jesus breaks down walls and barriers and he uses broken people to do extraordinary things. And he's not scared of our failure. You hear that church? Jesus is not scared of your failure. He brings together the broken pieces of our lives and and puts them together in a mysterious and beautiful way by his blood. And then sends us out with the testimony to share. Man, look what Jesus has done in my life. He's not scared of our failure. He breaks down these walls. It's not about insiders and outsiders. It's about a new family that God is creating. A new humanity that the world has never seen. In Galatians 3.28, Paul continues, No longer is, is it about Jew or Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And not only does Jesus destroy those barriers and walls, but he brings us peace. Peace to those who are far away and peace to those who are close. We are given the shalom, right? That peace, that beautiful word that means more than just peace, the wholeness, things being made right. We're given that by Christ. Jesus is saying, I have purchased your peace. The fight is over. The battle has been won. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? I've won the battle. I've given you peace. So can we, church, stop looking for peace and purpose in all the wrong places? Maybe you're tired of that. I am. 
And I'm tired of that for our young people. Just looking for peace and purpose in these places that will leave us broken and bankrupt. And maybe it's, maybe it's different things, consumerism, materialism, or just being caught on that broken cycle of filling our desires that will never actually fully be filled because it's only Christ that can fill that God-sized hole in our heart. I don't know what it is, but maybe you're, you're at a place like me where I'm like, man, just give me Jesus. I want real joy. I want real purpose. I want his peace that passes all understanding. And Jesus is saying, by the cross, you have this peace. You have it. And he continues, verse 16. By the cross, Christ put to death their, put to death their hostility. Again, this is all about the horizontal relationship with others. Put to death their hostility. We aren't hostile towards each other in our culture, are we? Nah. nah. You want to see hostile? Go down that four-way stop at Trader Joe's. <laughs> Hostility. Yep. Woo. It gets crazy. We are hostile towards each other in our culture. Sometimes even in the church. can be hostile towards each other. Now hear me, church. Our hostility and hatred died on the cross with Jesus. It should have. And the greatest example of this is Jesus on the cross as he's dying. About to give up his life, he prays this prayer to the Father. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Looking at his murderers. And, and maybe there's even this scene where this, the centurion, that Roman soldier, stabs Jesus in the side. you remember that? Maybe it was even during that where Jesus looked at him and prayed, Father, forgive him, for he know not what he does. And then what happens to that centurion just a little while later? Jesus dies and he says, oh my goodness, surely this was the son of God. I've seen hundreds and hundreds of crucifixions, but this one was different. Nobody's ever prayed for their enemies from the cross before. This man was surely different. Our hostility and hatred died on the cross with Jesus. So can we keep it dead? We are one with Christ. Now, I, I just wish there was something this year where we could put this into practice. Some kind of event that's going to cause all this kind of hostility and divisiveness. Where Jesus followers, we could be different, right? We could keep our eyes on Christ and, and, and follow the kingdom. Put down the hostility. Maybe something in November that could really help us with this. We could put it into practice. Is there something? I can't think of anything. I can't think of anything. We can't read Paul's words and not think about politics in November. And of course, that's not the only thing, right? That's not the only thing. We have all kinds of walls and barriers in our culture, racial, economical, and more. But that's going to be the big one this year, driving hostility and divisiveness. And this is just the young pastor talking, all right? But church, my prayer is that we can hear these words and that they can take root in our heart. Jesus is saying, I died so you could be together. And you know how the world will know me? By the way you show love to each other. So put down the hostility. And I'm not saying uh, 
you know, justice and different agendas and who you're voting for doesn't matter. No, that stuff matters, right? We still do those things and they're important. But can we put down the hostility? Jesus wants more for his people. He wants us to look different, unified, not uniformity, but unity. No more trench warfare, but can Christ get us out of the bunkers to love each other despite our differences? Christ ushers in his shalom by his death and resurrection. Number three, Christ builds his church. Verses 19 through 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God has chosen to make our home in Christ. He has given us a key to live together, together, unified in the house of God. And Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the piece that makes this all possible. I have a pastor friend who talks about when, when people come into church, man, they should, they should see a people who normally wouldn't get along normally wouldn't be together, and it looks so crazy. But we come together because the Spirit unifies us, and Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the reason. Jesus knows we're better together. Shayla and I have been thinking a lot about family, and uh, I think most of you know I have a 10-week-old little girl. She's beautiful. Um, so fun. Not sleeping a whole lot, but She's actually been better a little bit lately. Um, just perfect little girl, though. And so Shaylee and I will be talking about what we want for our little girl, right? You were probably there, and maybe you're there now, or if you're not there, you'll someday be there, maybe, I don't know. Um, but we're talking a lot about that, and, and, and just I'm reading some different books on parenting and fatherhood and, and really loving those and, and learning a lot. But, y'all, there's so many voices that are just coming to about parenting, and really it's harder for women. I just I, I love our women who are raising kids and there's just so much pressure from social media on moms and stuff. It's crazy and overwhelming. So Shaylee and I will be talking about some of the different things. What do we want for this little girl? What do we want her to know? Right? And I know, of course, some of that, you know, it's going to go out the window if she has a crazy little personality or whatever. <laughs> but still, but still. I had a crazy personality. Yeah. But there's hope. You find Jesus, you know, later on, whenever. Um, but what do we want for her? And we were kind of having this conversation the other night, a couple weeks ago, and kind of getting overwhelmed by all this, just getting caught up. And, and I was reading the, my text for this sermon, and I got to the end here where it talks about how Jesus is the cornerstone. And I just felt the Spirit kind of impress on my heart, hey, just, just keep me as the cornerstone, and it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Just reminded of that, and I needed that. I needed it. A family without a Christ as the cornerstone is a weak structure. And when the winds and rain and the storms come, right, and, and they will, if Jesus isn't the cornerstone, things will be swept away. And so a question for all of us, my friends, is, is who or what is the cornerstone of your family? Is it Jesus? I hope so. Or is it something else? What about for your marriage? Is Jesus the cornerstone? 
What about for your other relationships and different things? You put it in your context, but what is your cornerstone? If it's not Jesus, it won't stand strong. So my prayer is that we can put Christ in the rightful place in our lives. Not on the top, not like this little block on the top, and we're saying, Jesus, just bless all my decisions. No, he's the foundation. He's the reason it all comes together. Then at the end here, uh, Paul says in verse 22, and in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Every single one of us, hopefully in here, by God's power, are, we are being built as a block that goes in that structure. As the body of Christ, the kingdom of God, the church needs you, my friends. The kingdom needs you. It needs your different gifts and passions and all those different kind of things. It needs you. Not just in these walls, like in here too, but out there. The church needs you. It's not about what can I get out of church. It's, man, we're going to be missing you if you're not here. What are we missing from you? Because we're missing out on some stuff if you're not here. I hate cardio. <laughs> How do you feel about cardio? I like to lift weights and stuff, but cardio, no. no. Maybe you're with me. Some of you love cardio. A little over two years ago, my sister and bro uh, brother, they, uh, they convinced me to do a half Ironman. If you know a half Ironman, it's, it's crazy. It's a 1.2 mile swim, and then you get off that and do the bike for, for 56 miles, and then you start running for 13 miles. It's crazy. Some of y'all have done it in here, and you know. And they, they happened to catch me at a good time. I was reading a lot of motivational stuff, David Goggins, Navy SEAL stuff. And so they asked me, and I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Terrible decision. <laughs> Terrible decision. But I was committed. And I paid the fee and all that kind of stuff, you know. So I start training about six months out. And I'm not going to lie, church, I started to like the training. After a while, you see some, see some growth, and, and it's going pretty well. Training and doing all that kind of stuff. And so race day gets here, August 6, 2022, in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. If you've been there, you know it's beautiful. And I was amazed. We get there early, early in the morning, and just hundreds and hundreds of people there. And later in the day, there would be thousands of people there, right? With all the racers and volunteers and people cheering on, cheering on each other, right? Awesome environment. Um, and now, it was a kind of a staggered start, so the pros go first, and then different people go, and, and I remember my brother and I in the, in the water, like in, in just ankle-deep water, getting ready to go, and, and I'm hugging him. I'm like, just in case I never see you again, dude, I die. <laughs> just bring it in. I might never make it out of this water. So I'm hugging him, and we're excited, and the gun goes off, and so we jump in the water and start swimming. 42, 43 minutes, I get out of the water, and I'm feeling good. I'm excited. I'm like, I made it. I didn't drown. <laughs> We get to that little rest stop where you, where you have your bike and all that kind of stuff. And, and my sister's already there, and then my brother comes right behind me. So we're kind of together, and it's awesome. And we're changing, getting all our stuff. And, and they go quicker than me. I'm like, hey, I'm going to go to the restroom real quick. I'll catch up to you guys. All right, I'll catch up to you. I'm about five minutes behind them, which is actually a little bit of a distance, right? But I'm like, no worries. I'll catch up. I'll catch up. So um, do all those kind of things, and I start biking. I don't see them yet, but I keep going. Go about three miles, and finally I see them. They're a ways up there. But I see him about three miles. I'm like, oh, I'm still going to catch him. But then I notice, all of a sudden, I'm looking down, and I, I see I left my GPS tracker back at the, at the switch station. 
And some funny little side note, some of the high school kids were, were following the, G, the GPS and they had thought I actually died. Like they, they thought, because it stopped. They're like, what is going on here? Is he, is he in the medical tent or what's going on here? Why is it not moving? I know, I know. So I'm biking and I don't know what to do, right? This is my first endurance race like this. And so I, I don't know if I need to go back. I'm like asking the fellow bikers and they're like, I don't know. You know, they didn't really know. So I end up going back. I know, I know, I know. I'm happy you feel my pain. <laughs> so I go back. And it was funny because I'm going back and, and like the pros had just finished their bike. And so I'm like coming in and people are just cheering for me. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, no. I'm like, I actually just started. I just forgot my tracker. So I grabbed my tracker and go, and the, and the sad thing was, church, is, is I never caught up to my brother and, and sister. I never did. So it made the bike really hard, just, just mentally, and you guys know if you've done endurance race, just mentally so taxing. Just come on, I keep going, but I want to be, to, to be with them, right? And then I get off the bike, and I start running, and I think I'm just going to come, like, jump on the pavement and just kill, like, three miles, you know? No way, right? Because you have to have so much nutrition on the, on the bike where you just feel awful and you start running and now I'm like just jogging, just trying to make it, just praying like crazy too, right? And so long story short, I, I just struggle through the run and what got me through is those rest stations because I would get to those rest stations and there would be tons of people, just tons of people encouraging you. Hey, you can do this. Keep going. Don't stop, you're doing great. And you know what, after a while I start to believe them. I'm like, you're right, I can do this, I can do So I'd leave the rest station and then I'd, like, a little after, after a little while I'd be like, I can't do this, I can't do it. And then I'd get to another one and they'd be encouraging me and they'd be handing me a Gatorade or a little bit of Red Bull or whatever it may be and, and I'm believing again, I'm believing again, hey, I can do this. And then the last couple miles I ended up having like a little group and that we were kind of all around the same pace. The pace was slow, right? So, <laughs> it's like, what was the pace? It was slow. But three other people, so there was four of us together, and we did kind of the last two miles together, and we're, we're running along, just, just cheering each other on. Hey, we can do this. Let's finish together. We can do this. I keep going. One guy was struggling with a little ankle injury. We can, hey, keep going, man. You can do this. We're so close. And I imagine, like, our mindset in that moment, church, was so beautiful and just awesome. And a very different mindset than the pros that finished, like, probably three or four hours before us, right? Yeah. Their mindset, you can imagine, they're, like, they're, they're like running, coming down the wire, they're, like, or, or biking, right? And you're, like, man, they're kind of hoping maybe somebody cramps up a little bit. Maybe, maybe somebody pops a tire, right? So, I, because they want to win, maybe, right? It's a competition. Their mindset would have been probably very different than ours just trying to finish together and not die. It's yeah. <laughs> not die. It's true. So, friends, here's what I'm convinced of is, is, is this is what Paul thinks about when he's talking about all this. This is what we can imagine. Is we are not in this race to try to beat each other. It's not a competition. We're in a race to work together to encourage each other, to pull people alongside us. Hey, you can do this, even people who don't think they can do it, to pull them together. We're better together. Christ broke down the walls and the barriers and he put to death the hostility. So let's encourage each other. Let's go together. 
Let's run and swim and bike in this journey called life together, together. So we finished the race by God's grace. Yeah, yeah, don't, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm standing here, so. And we finished the race. And you know what happened when you, when you get to the end of the race? There's a celebration. Just a party. My brother and sister were there. You guys left me. <laughs> no, you forgot your GPS. Yeah. Celebration, a party. People are just going nuts, right? I can imagine that's, that's how eternity will be someday. It's the kingdom of God, everybody together celebrating. It's so important that we go together. We're not meant to go through this life on our own. It's too hard to follow Jesus by ourselves. That's why Paul is trying to tell us, you are better together. Put down the hostility, go together. Don't stop encouraging each other. Get out of our trenches, whatever the walls are and divisions that keep us away. Let Christ destroy those and let's go meet in the field because we're better together. And then someday when we get to heaven, there's going to be all kinds of different there, all kinds of different people there celebrating because we race together. All right, church, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for this morning. Thanks for just this message and just what you're doing in the hearts of your people. And God, we just, we just want to sit in your words that you love us, you're for us, you forgive us, and you're calling us to something amazing. And God, I just pray for, for, for walls and barriers to be broken this morning. Whatever, they, whatever those may be in our life, and can we really lean into the beautiful reality that we are better together? You bind us together by your spirit. And can we live into that? Can we encourage people who need encouraging? Can we reach out when we need encouraging? Can we do all those things and come together to be the body of Christ? And God, would you send us on mission as your people? To be your hands and feet in a broken world. God, we need you and you're with us. Just empower us, Lord Jesus. We love you so, so much. And in your precious name we pray, amen and amen. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.